Well, if you have your Bibles, I need you to turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be looking at two verses tonight, verses 11 through 12. And the night's message is, who are you? <laughs> now, I'm not asking that question because I'm thinking you're confused on who you are. Hopefully, you already know who you are. If not, uh, be like uh, Brother Chris and get you a name tag so you'll know who you are. <laughs> Sometimes he forgets who he is. and I have to tell him. I said, you're Chris. But uh, tonight, uh, the Bible tells us who we are. Okay? There's, there's no, you don't have to guess with this thing. First of all, he, he said, the Bible says and says that we are sinners. Would you agree with that tonight? The Bible is quite clear. We are sinners. The Bible goes on and tells us that uh, we're no good. I mean, that's what the Bible says, right? There's none good, no, not one. It also says that uh, we're not as righteous as we think we are. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us our righteousness is like filthy rags. So the Bible is quite clear uh, that we realize that we are sinners by nature and by choice. But here's the good news. It also tells us that you, if you are that, you can get that changed. And you can come, and we see it here, you can come, become one of the beloved. Look at verse number 11. It says, dearly beloved. Now that word beloved, uh, Peter uses it quite often in the two epistles that he wrote. Eight times that word beloved is referred to. Peter is trying to tell this church, and we are needing to understand that uh, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, uh, and you've been saved, you are beloved. I don't know about you, but I like being loved. Oh, and we live in a world where you do not get too much of that. But by the way, the world hates us. The, the, I mean, the, the world hates us. And, and, be, uh, and because of their hatred towards us, that's why we should even more so be loved and, and be loving on one another. You do understand, church, that if uh, you're not going to get it here, you're not going to get it out there. Because the kind of love that they're going to give you out there has strings attached. Aren't you glad the love of God has no strings attached? Aren't you glad tonight that the love that He's extended to us is an unconditional love? Even while we were yet sinners, Christ still loved us enough to die for us. You're not going to get that anywhere else. And that ought to be encouraging you that when you ask that question, who are you, you can say, I'm one of the beloved. He says, dearly beloved, I beseech you, or begging you, I'm pleading with you as stranger. The second thing that we're going to see is that not only are you beloved or you're loved, you're also a stranger. Now notice, I said stranger. I didn't say you were strange, even though many of you are. And I'm included in that number. 
We got some weird ducks around here. You know that? Well, we really do. I, I'm probably one of the weirdest. Now, now there was no place for an amen there. <laughs> hey, I'm in good company, right? I'm in good company. He's, so we're reminded, uh, the Bible also calls it a sojourner or a pilgrim. We need to realize that, first of all, we're beloved. Second, we're stranger. That means that we better not get too attached to this world because we're just a passing through. Brother Glenn and I have uh, done two funerals together just this week. And we've been constantly reminded that, uh, that uh, we don't know what awaits any of us, do we? I just referred to Brother Jim. I mean, uh, no one expected that they were going to find him dead in his bed on a Sunday morning. None of us have a guarantee that we're going to walk out of here alive. But I got good news for you. Whenever and however he decides to call us home, you're not going to be just a stranger there. You're going to be a permanent resident. And you're going to have all your papers. (laughs) It's all going to be said and done. You'll spend eternity in a place called heaven. So he says, I beseech you as strangers and as pilgrims, And then uh, the next thing that we understand that we are, uh, and I believe I listed it under lust, but lust can be a soldier. See, we're also soldiers. Do you understand that we are in a war? And we're not talking about a war against flesh and blood. We're in a war with the enemy of the flesh. He says, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. And then in verse number 12, he says, And having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, that they may be your... But they they may... uh, Of evildoers, they may by your... Good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. And so we've already went through that we are uh, beloved, that we are strangers, that we are soldiers. But here as he closes this uh, little section out here, we're also to be witnesses. We're to be witnesses to a lost and dying world. So very quickly tonight, we're going to look through this. First of all, we understand that we are beloved. I already made mention that Peter uses uh, uh, that phrase, beloved, eight times in these two epistles. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 7, it gives us a list, and I'm not going to go all that, but it talks about godliness. And it says, godliness, which should lead to brotherly kindness and brotherly kindness, which should lead to brotherly love. We need to understand tonight, because we are beloved, the reason why we should be loving one another is because we were first loved. And we're we're closer to God and more like God when we love. One of the attributes, is it not, uh, His nature is He's a God of love. 
He loves unconditionally. He didn't wait till you got your act together before he started loving on you. He loved you from the very get-go. He loved you when you were a sinner. He loved you when you didn't want to have anything to do with him. He still loved you. And we need to understand tonight that we too should be able to love one another. Second oh, Peter in chapter 3 verse number 1, he says, uh, Peter, says that I'm writing this to the beloved. We also see it in chapter 3, verse number 8, and we also see that word loved or beloved in verses 14 through 15. We also see it in verse 17. Do you try to, do you think that Peter is trying to get a point across here when he uses this word beloved and talks about love numerous times? I think it's because we need to understand tonight that because we have been loved Loved, we should love and we should love unconditionally just like the Lord Jesus unconditionally loved us. The family of God should be a place where you should receive love and encouragement. But my dear friend, we need to not only just camp out on that. I'm grateful for the love of God. I'm grateful that He loved me. I'm grateful that we can love one another. But we need to understand But before we can get into that particular position, we have to position ourselves with the understanding that He's also a God of wrath and judgment. Now, we don't like to talk about that too much. Uh, that's too much negativity. Uh, I, I, we don't like to uh, talk about the wrath of God or the anger of God. But my dear friends, He is a God of wrath. And even though His grace abounds, even though His mercy uh, is abundant, there comes a point in time where He says, okay, enough's enough. And we need to understand there's coming a time when the Lord's grace is going to stop and judgment is going to fall. Now we understand we're looking around and we're and we're saying how much more oh uh, how much more worse can get I'm telling you it can get a whole lot uh, worse and it will be and many of us are going to see some things that we thought we've never seen before you think it's bad now you just hang on because we're seeing that the word of God tells us and warns us it's going to get worse but there's coming a day when he's going to call the church out of here and when he calls the church out of here. Oh my dear friend, and excuse my language, but that's when all hell is going to break loose. There will be no restraining. There will be no more churches that are preaching the word of God. There will be no more warnings that judgment is going to fall. The church is going to be gone and then we know that all evil will have a heyday. I don't know about you, but I'm sure glad I'm beloved. And I'm sure glad that he is going to take me out. And I'm sure glad that I won't have to be judged because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. And because I accepted what Jesus Christ has done for me, I will not have to go through his wrath and judgment. Aren't you glad tonight for that? But then we see in John 14, 15, Jesus says, here's how I know if you really love me. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, we're not talking necessarily just the Ten Commandments. We're talking about all of His commandments. But one of the commandments that we see uh, over and over again is you need to love one another. That's the words of Jesus. 
Jesus says, they will know who you are by the way you love one another. And so here uh, we see what motivates us to do what we're doing. What motivates us is our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what motivates us. Why do we uh, sign up to work vacation Bible school? It better be because you love the Lord Jesus and you love the things of the Lord Jesus and He loves the boys and girls who are going to be coming here this week of Bible school. That's what motivates me. It's not because it's out of sense of duty. It's not because I'm doing. It's because of my devotion, my devotion to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because I understand that He He didn't have to love me. He didn't have to show His grace to me. He didn't have to extend His mercy to me. But oh, I'm so glad that He did. And because of that, the reason why I do what I do for the cause of Jesus Christ, it's not any other reason except I love Him. I just love Him. And when you love like you're supposed to the Lord Jesus, you'll love the way you're supposed to to one another. And so He says that we are beloved. But the the second thing is strangers. We've already talked about this, and we're not going to camp out here. But we're strangers. We're pilgrims. We're just passing through. What helps me, and uh, Brother Glenn and I uh, talked about this, and uh, uh, doing the funerals, uh, those that, uh, the funerals that we've done, uh, both of those men had suffered. Their, Their health was declining. And they were not able to do the things that they enjoyed doing. One of them told me quite often. He says, I don't know why I'm still here. Everything that I used to do, I can't do because of health issues. The things that I really love, I can't do anymore. And then we also understand that many of those that have gone on Everybody that they loved went before them. I don't know why God keeps me here. And of course, we try to encourage them. And the older I'm getting, the more I'm starting to realize, do I really need to be encouraging them that they need to stick around when they really feel like they need to go on? You ever thought about that? I had an elderly man. He was in his 80s. His family called me. This is some years ago. His family called me and says, Brother Mike, I need you to go out there and talk to Daddy. I said, what do I need to talk to Daddy about? Well, Daddy is getting on his tractor and he's riding around and we're scared something's going to happen to him. And I told them, I said, I understand your concerns. But I said, does he... Uh, loved getting on that old red tractor and just riding around. Uh, oh, he loves it. He loves his tractor. I said, why would you discourage a man from something that he really loves? My dear friend, we need to be careful. Sometimes we're not meaning it, but sometimes we can do more harm than good by encouraging someone and says, oh, you just stick it out, just stick it out, when they have already said, I don't have anything else down here. And the reason why they can say that is they know something far, far better is waiting for them. I don't know about you, but that's how I would want to live my life. If I can't do the things that I can I used to do and, and be able to get around like I want to do, hey, that's a pretty good option, is it? 
he not? Why don't I just go ahead and let the Lord call me to a place where I don't have to hurt anymore, where I won't have no more uh, heartaches, I won't have no more trials and tribulations, I won't have any more problems that I'm facing down here because where I'm going, I know that that's where I'm going to be for all eternity. I'm telling you, it, we ought to be a little more encouraging for someone that feels like they're, they, they don't have any detachment down here. And by the way, if we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we shouldn't have any detachment down here because the Bible says we're strangers, we're just passing through. But then we see that we're soldiers. He talks about abstaining from the fleshly lust. D.L. Moody made this comment. He said, The worst enemy that I have to face is not others. The worst enemy I have to face is D.L. Moody. I believe that's true for every one of us, is it not? The, 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 the enemy that we have the most problem with is not the ones around us, it's us. These old lustly and, and, and these lusts that we have that, uh, that, uh, that consume us and, and detour us from serving the Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 6, you all will uh, know this verse. It talks about uh, putting on the whole armor of God. And one of the uh, armors that we are supposed to put on is the helmet of salvation. Now, what is the significance about putting on the helmet of salvation? Well, a helmet protects your mind. It protects your head. I, I come to find out, uh, and I didn't uh, want this information, but because of uh, Donna having brain surgery and all that, I found out brain injuries, and, and, and they might just be located there and uh, when they took out that uh, little um, where the, the, the veins kind of grew together and whatnot and they took it out. It wasn't that big at all. Now, the injury was up in the head, but it affected her whole body. That's the reason why Ephesians 6 says to put on the helmet of salvation because... Oh, we understand we're bombarded on a continual basis of what's going up here. And if you can go ahead and have control up here, you've got control of the whole body. Are you seeing where we're coming from here? And so these lusts, oh, and, and, and we're oh, trying to, and he says here, to abstain from those and, and, the, and, the, and the greatest battlefield that Satan has is the mind. You'll see it uh, in North Korea, of course, is in the news quite a bit. And you're thinking, why in the world are those people holding the pictures and, and, and you know, praying and they're thinking he's the greatest, uh, uh, greatest leader in all the world? They started brainwashing them. They, they went ahead and kept any outside forces coming in. I thought about this. Isn't that what we ought to be doing as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? We're letting the world distract us and too much of the world's getting up here. And if we let it get up here, it's eventually going to get here. And when it gets here, it's going to work its way out. He says... We are soldiers. We're in a war. 
a spiritual conflict. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26, it talks about being walking in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit. But I found it interesting here in verse number 26. It talks about, be careful about vain glory. What's that talking about? Well, I believe what it's talking about is pride. Pride. What do you mean? Pride tells us we're something. Pride tells us that we ought to be getting more attention than we're getting. Pride tells us that we kind of got this thing figured out. May I remind you, uh, the Bible is quite clear that pride comes before your fall. I thought about pride. I couldn't help but come across this story. It's a story about a, uh, a man by the name of Zeke. He lived in Mule Shoe, Texas. And Zeke was a very prideful man. He never acknowledged that he could be wrong. And so one day he was uh, in town there. This is some years ago. And he was coming across the blacksmith shop. So he wanted to go in and see what his buddy in there was doing. Well, right before old Zeke came into the shop there, uh, the blacksmith had been working on a, a horseshoe and trying to uh, make some correction there, and he just wouldn't work any. Oh, he had to get that thing flaming hot, put it on the fire, and then he would beat on it, try to form it back up. And uh, it was a continual process, and he just kind of got frustrated with it. And so he had it in the fire, and uh, he just got, said, forget it, I'll come back to it. And he just kind of tossed it off to the side. Well, Zeke comes in just a moment or two afterwards, and as he was walking in, he saw that horseshoe laying there, and so he just went ahead and grabbed that thing, threw it down quickly. Well, the blacksmith says, well, he'll, he, I, I, he'll admit to this. He says, hey, Zeke, he says, that uh, horseshoe's pretty hot, isn't it? Zeke looked at him and he says, Nah, it just don't take me long to look at a horseshoe. <laughs> there are some people that proud that they're not going to admit. And by the way, one of the worst enemies that can hinder someone coming to know Jesus Christ is their personal Lord and Savior's pride. Because the Bible says we must humble ourselves. We must humble ourselves. We need to realize we are weak and we are dirty and we have nothing good in us. We must humble ourselves. And the Bible helps us to understand when we humble ourselves, He'll lift us up. Isn't that good? When we humble ourselves, He'll lift us up. And when we get lifted up by Him, we have absolutely nothing to boast in. Paul said it this way, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in the cross. <laughs> That's a pretty good thing to brag about, isn't it? Because it was the cross 
that saved my soul. It was the cross of Jesus Christ that's allowed me to be able to where I'm at tonight. It's the cross of Jesus Christ that's given me confidence when time, my time here is over with, I'm going to be in a far, far better place. I have absolutely nothing to boast about. I have nothing to be proud about. All I can say is, it all the glory goes to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's by His grace that I'm saved and not of my works. Oh, aren't you glad tonight it's the grace of God that worked in your life? Aren't you glad tonight that you don't have anything to boast about, but you can brag on Jesus. You can boast upon the cross because without the cross of Jesus Christ, every one of us would be doomed and destined for hell. Oh, praise His name tonight. I know it's a Wednesday night, but it's okay to give Him a little shout of praise tonight because of His grace. None of us have anything to boast about. Praise his name. Then we see, he goes on in verse 26, and he says, And envy, envious, being envious one of another. Now, <clears throat> envy is a strong enemy. It, 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 it feeds upon our lust. Envy. It's been said, it was a play written back some years ago called The Critic. And in that play, they, oh, they made this statement. It says, talking about uh, envy, it says that envy is one of the most passionate, strongly rooted in your heart. It's passionate. It's strongly rooted in your heart. That's where envy does its work. Being envious of one another. The Bible says it should not be so. Because it will, it will hinder your spiritual growth. You ever heard the saying, well, he's, he's just eat up with it. Eat up with envious. Now, the kissing cousin of envy is jealousy. That causes damage as well, does it not? Matter of fact, because we're the, we're the beloved, right? Because we're the beloved, none of us have anything to boast about. We all came by the same way, by the way of the cross. That when I have a brother and sister that God is prospering or God has re, uh, just poured out His blessing, my action should be, praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. But I dare say many times that's not our thought, is it? We'll say something like, well, why are they getting that? What about me? I'm just telling the truth tonight. And jealousy, bitterness, because what eventually happens if we do not have can get control or better yet said, if we do not let the Holy Spirit get control of envy, being envious of one another, being jealous of one another, or our pride, it will hinder our walk with God. And when our walk with God gets hindered, it will affect our walk with one another. And then when we're, when we're not walking in unison and in one accord... And if we continue to let that go unheaved, what next bitterness 
bitterness. I don't know why they're able to sing solos. They've never asked me to sing a solo. I don't understand why they're getting to teach that class. I should have been asked to teach that class. I don't know why I'm not the chairperson of that committee. Well, that one that's in there now, they have a lot to be desired. I'm I'm telling the truth tonight. And we may be uh, stepping on toes, but so be it. Be like the old preacher said when uh, a little lady came out and he was preaching on the tongue. And she said, oh, preacher, she said, you stepped all over my toes this morning. He said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. She said, what do you mean? He said, I meant to star, uh, step on your heart. And that's the problem sometimes. We get our toes stepped on when we needed our heart stepped on. Because all of this has been bred in the heart. The heart is deceitful. The heart, it's a heart issue. And so here he tells us not to envy one another. But then he goes on and we see that uh, if we're going to be effective witnesses, and, and this is and we're, and we're fixing to close, if we're going to be effective witnesses, we are going to have to be walking in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit. And we can't be walking in the Spirit and led by the Spirit if our lusts are consuming us. So when we get all that taken care of, we get that corrected, then He'll use us to be able to witness. Notice here, He uses the word Gentiles. Now, He's not talking about a race here. And the word usage is talking about unsaved people. Okay? He says, he's talking about unsaved people. And, and we see, he goes on and says, on the day of visitation. Now, it could mean that the day of visitation is talking about the second coming of Christ. But in the context here, it's talking about when Jesus would visit lost sinners. Jesus visited you. Aren't you glad for that visit? Now understand, Brother Glenn can allude to that. Many times when we drive up to go see somebody and they realize it's the preacher, they're not really excited about the visit. But I'm sure glad that I got visited on a Friday night of the Lord Jesus Christ and I hadn't got over that visit. And because of that visit, I can now go and visit someone that needs to know how to get saved. And so he says here, oh, the day of visitation. Oh, but notice he talks about a number of things. Oh, first of all, in Luke chapter 19, verse number 44, he, he, he talks about uh, visitation. He says, you will not know when he's going to come and visit. Okay? But uh, what does all this mean? Well... Story, very quickly. In 1805, they called a large uh, a gathering of uh, various uh, tribes. There was a missionary that was going to come, and he was going to talk to all the tribe, uh, the chiefs of the tribes here. And, of course, he was coming to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was one chief in particular. His name was Red Jacket. And Red Jacket, of course, was listening to this missionary. And missionary was talking about coming to know Jesus Christ. He, uh, he was talking about how uh, Jesus Christ can change your life and change your li- uh, heart. And uh, he goes on and on. And so after uh, he got finished preaching, Red Jacket goes to the missionary and he says, 
uh, he said, um, I understand uh, that uh, you uh, were preaching about the, uh, the one great spirit. Of course, Indians believed in spirits, and uh, he referred to the Lord as a, the, the great spirit. He says, I noticed that you preached the one great spirit. He says, but here's a question I have for you. And he says, what's that? He says, I noticed uh, that white men, when they're talking about their religion they would differ on it. The missionary says, I don't understand what you're talking about. He says, well, you're preaching about uh, 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 this Jesus, this great uh, spirit and that he can change your life and he, he can uh, do all of this. But he says, it seems to me that uh, many differ on that because what I'm seeing is not what I'm hearing. You know where we're going here. So uh, this chief had questions. And by the way, they were very valid questions. How do you explain that this Jesus that you talk about has changed your life? And uh, you're you're not the same as you used to be. But yet what I'm seeing is a different story. The Bible tells us in James chapter 2, verse number 18, he says, of course, in that uh, little passage there, uh, we're talking about faith and talks about works. We need to understand tonight that uh, we don't work for our faith. Our faith helps us to do our works. It's a vast difference. You can't work for your faith. But your faith can work for you. But what we have to understand, just like this Indian chief, the reason why we're not making the impact outside these walls is because there's confusion because they're hearing one thing and they're seeing something else. This should not be so. They should be able to tell without a shadow of doubt who we belong to. There shouldn't be any questions on who we are walking with. We need to understand tonight that when the question is raised, who are you? I'm beloved. I'm a stranger. I'm a soldier. And I'm a witness. May that be true for every one of us here tonight that all four of those characteristics describe us.